Is the uh, kitchen on this downstairs. level? Downstairs. This downstairs. I must go down to. Can I give you a hand? No, just take those up. All right, so that's milk and uh, Christine is looking for a glass of water as well. There are six women upstairs waiting on Peter Healy's apple cake. And you lay on the food as well? He's taking it out of one of two ovens in a big downstairs kitchen. I'll have it ready in a second. Okay. Everything is ready. Okay, I can take those off. Okay. And I'll bring that up the glass of water. Where did you learn to cook? I didn't learn to cook. If you can't cook, you should starve. <laughs> well, anybody who can't cook should starve. I mean, God knows, like, anybody can make an apple cake. Anybody. There's a table in the centre of the kitchen and on it are two tea trays with cups and saucers. This is night time. In the daytime, the table can have tea on it, but it's not for drinking. It's three hours earlier and the women, Peter's guests, are arriving. One of them, Una, is playing a viola. It's made of a pale, unvarnished wood. It's Peter's new viola. Not a new one he's bought, but one he's made. Peter Healy is a luthier, somebody who makes stringed instruments. The word comes from the French word for lute. The label is terrific. He has a copy of Gasparo da Salo viola, about 1580. Hold on. Uh, frequencies determined by Thomas Hansen of Black Rock, Dublin. Terrific. The new viola was hung on a hook beside the door of the drawing room. I say drawing room because it's a Georgian house, and that's what it looks like a drawing room. Paintings, old photographs, bookcases around the walls a good-sized fireplace with a log fire in it at the other end, a long sash window out onto the night, a high ceiling out of which hangs a centre light, below which are gathered a cluster of music stands. Gradually, everyone arranges themselves. For an event that's been taking place in this house for 75 years, a soiree. Peter Healy invites friends and people he meets to come to his drawing room and play chamber music a few times a week. The fun is in amateur music. The professionals take it very seriously and really no true professional would walk in the door and bother playing with us. I'd bother playing with anybody if they weren't being paid. Do you know what I mean? It's a different attitude. Do, do, do they not love the music? Well, you see, once it becomes once it becomes your bread and butter, it's a very different thing. I, I know, I've known endless musicians and very few of them ever, professionals, ever wanted to play. Oh, a lot of my nephews and nieces are professional musicians that they wouldn't dream of playing with me. Not that I blamed them. But do they play for fun? No, they don't know. They play to... That's their job. So it takes all the sport out of it. Well, it does, doesn't it? (laughs) That's a cello, is it? It's the cello. I really love the sound of a cello. (laughs) Everybody says it's terribly disconcerting. That's putting you under pressure, isn't it? It's wonderful. And it is. And this actually, whatever about me being a rotten cellist, this is a wonderful cello. 
isn't it, Peter? One of the world's best. Yeah, that was made initially in 1970. And it was made for me. And it's a wonderful award. It's far too good for me. It's a wonderful instrument. It's a luci. Yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. It's a copy of a Strad, obviously. It's a, co- it's a very good copy of a Strad. My husband had it made for me. Oh, that was really nice. <laughs> it was. He, he, he Did he ever regret it? <laughs> he bought a violin and um, he, he wrote to your man initially saying, you know, have you, have you any violins ready for buying? And so he said, oh, yeah, I have a row of violins. So the violin arrived, COG, I gave him the money and he handed over the violin. It was about 250, 250 pounds at the time. In 69, that was mm. some money, all right. So... Oh, he said, oh, we have to have a cello like that. So he wrote up and said, you make a cello for my wife. And we, so he used to write his wonderful letter saying, I'm putting on the coat of varnish for your wife who plays the cello. <laughs> it was lovely. Yeah. Did he ever get to hear it? I'm afraid not. One of the regulars, Una, coordinates. All right. Oh, she's in on the first beat, so that's great. We always kept an open house. My mother, if she knew any, any kids around the district, she'd, she'd rope them in and uh, we'd try playing simple piano trios. He used to buy them in Woolworths at the time, sixpence for a thing like a, a movement from Mendelssohn's Violin Concerto or something. Dragged a bit. We could have improved it. Dragged a bit. Dragged a bit. Yeah, so the cello's at 27 now. Yeah, I see, I see, okay. We'll see when you drag it then, Healy. Okay, so one, two, three. There was my father and my mother. When we came here, I, my three brothers and my two sisters we had a fairly hopeful house. And none of us got married. We weren't the marrying type, maybe. And did you all live here as single people? We all lived here as single people. How did that, that work there's out? There's an art in living with people. You have to cultivate it. I'm sure you know that. When you're living with people, you mind your own business and you show concern for their likes and dislikes. And I think we got along very well. Must have been terribly lonely when they all passed on, was it? No. My sister died about four years ago. And people said, you must be very lonely. And the last thing in life I ever was was lonely. I don't know what loneliness is. I used to take off and uh, wander around the Alps by myself. Because I couldn't, I didn't want other people interfering with my curriculum. I had a program laid out, and I wanted to do what I wanted. And uh, loneliness didn't enter into the picture at all. Peter, what do you want to do? Should we do percolazy? Or... No, we haven't. Uh, 
the three viola parts here. Yeah. How long do you have this music? This music? I've been collecting it for 50 years or more. It takes a long time to, you know, accumulate the lot. I, I've, I've reached saturation point. I don't live all. <laughs> so why did you start collecting it? Well, we started playing together. Uh, yeah, how did you meet up with musicians? You just meet them and uh, make a note of their phone numbers and <laughs> keep in touch. This lady said you pick up people on the street. <laughs> uh, I would if I had to. So if you see somebody walking along with a violin case, do you stop the car and hop out? And... Yeah. I ask them whether they're trad or classically. Oh, do you? Yeah. <laughs> I was a draftsman in the ESB and I wouldn't have done anything else. I loved everything else. I think that's the secret of life, isn't it? I like what you're doing. I've made about 16 instruments and they all have a certain brightness in common. Now, I, I'm always trying to improve on it. Like, the, the plates have to be tuned. That plate has to be tuned, and that has to, has to be tuned. How do you tune them? It has to be tuned to a certain frequency or note. By sanding them down? No, it has to be carved. You hold the thing at a point there, and you tap it in the middle, and you hear a note. Dee, dee, dee. I can hear a note. You can't, maybe. But I can hear it. Uh, say the the viola is tuned to C sharp. This tuning of the instrument starts very early on when the front and the back of the violin, for example, are just blank pieces of wood. Peter puts them sitting on top of a speaker through which he plays the note C sharp. The piece of wood then starts to vibrate. And you put dry tea leaves on it. The tea leaves begin to vibrate. And as you bring up the volume, they begin to hop. And eventually they're hopping quite madly. And wherever they land, if, if it's not vibrating, they, don't, they stay there. Now here's the magic. If the wood is carved correctly, for certain notes, the dry tea leaves will land in certain designs. For the high note, I think it would come out as the perfect circle. For the lowest note, it would come out as a perfect cross. <laughs> When you're making the violins, do you ever regret that you didn't do it full time and that you did no. that you worked in the well, yeah, making? There's no money to be made making fiddles, <laughs> and you have to eat. And we're still roping in young people. Our mother introduced me to our daughter, who had was married with uh, a few children, and she thought the daughter was 
not getting enough out of life and asked me to rope her into a quartet. Now she's on my doorstep every second night. <laughs> You can't play uh, quartets by yourself unless you're an octopus with a, a flair for chamber music. <laughs> so you rely on them and they rely on you? Of course. The only instrumental music worth playing is chamber music because each instrument has its own part. You're an individual. You never use your individuality. You make that con contribution to the, the piece you're playing. It's like a conversation between four people. Finally, after three hours, the playing is finished. I'll tell you what, I'm going to keep ready, you can play something else. You've gone with the chairs too. Peter doesn't like to see anybody not playing. Is he not? No. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's the effort of getting people here and then, and then, um, and then they all they want to do is eat. No. <laughs> Cake. Because the brain, as you know, needs food, so you get starving. Because you're, you're not only is it physical, but it's mental as well. You see. <laughs> Peter Healy, luthier and host. I, I think I had a an idyllic life. Everybody looked after me all the time. I didn't deserve it. You've been listening to The Curious Ear. I'm Ronan Kelly.